Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you guys are all here. Thank you for coming into my home, Gospel Saving Church in McKinney, Texas. This is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word, as we are one of God's true churches of these last days. Uh, I sure hope you didn't come here to be entertained, because church is not supposed to be, according to the Bible, a place that we come to be entertained. It's a place where we're supposed to go to grow in the knowledge of God, and to love one another, and to be encouraged to do the things of God, and so on and so forth. But it's all centered around the Creator of the universe, which is the title of our sermon today, Who is the Creator of the Universe Today? Uh, in case you uh, didn't pick it up, today we are taking a break from our normal verse-by-verse verse through the book of Acts teaching because me and my family recently had a vacation, and I did uh, not have my normal time to set up my normal sermon as my normal sermons take me way longer than the time that I had for this one. So for our message today, God has laid a very familiar topic of study on my mind, and one that I know very well, one that is very close to my heart, one that I think is very important for the day and the age of confusion that we live in. Many people have such a terrible, difficult time actually knowing which religion is real. Many people have such a difficult time knowing, are all the religions the same? Do all religions lead to the creator of the universe? Was or is it Buddhism? Was or is it the Eastern religions? Was or is it Catholicism or Hinduism? Or what if it's Christianity? And many people are very confused. And I will admit, I, this can be confusing. All of these different religions, there's thousands of religions literally all over the world. And uh, many have good things about them, and many have bad things about them. So, you know, but no matter how you slice it or dice it, the point that I made still stands. There's a lot of different religions out there, but are they all correct? Or which one is correct? Does the fact that some of them have good things about them make them the correct religion that leads us to God? Or maybe uh, we know the correct religion because that's the one I grew up in. Right? Maybe that's how we know the correct religion, the one that leads us to God, the one that makes us have a connection with that Creator. Are all religions correct so that they are all accurate and should be followed because they're the way to get an audience with the creator of the universe? Do all religions grant people access to our creator? And if so, or if not, how can we know for sure? Some people will say, because I know this is, this is a very special topic to me, because when I was an evangelist, God had me an evangelist for the first like 15, 16 years that I was a Christian. This was a very famous topic that I would love to talk about on the streets, because so many people would say, you know, well, there's so many religions, I'm, religion's man-made, and we really can't know, and you know, oh, I grew up in this one, or, you know, you can't know for sure that you've got the right one. And Because one of my famous questions that I would ask, one that a friend, of, an old friend of mine used to fall in love with, was, how do you know you're right? And that's a question that I'll ask to all those that are listening to me out there today. Whatever you believe, even let's say you believe in Jesus Christ, or you believe in the Buddhist way, or you believe in the Mormon way, or you believe in the Jehovah Witness way, or you believe in the uh, Hindu way. How do you know you're right? How do you know that what you believe 
is really the accurate way to get an audience with the creator of the universe? How do you know? Because all these are good questions. And the creator God knows how confusing all of this can be, and he understands, and he's patient with us. And that's where I come in, and, and why I'm here speaking to you today about these questions and about this topic. The God of the universe wants me to help you to figure out if all religions lead to him, and if they don't, which religion or which religions do lead to God, and how we can know for sure 100%, because I believe that the creator of the universe has given us the wisdom and the knowledge and the common sense and the logic to, to realize which God he is or which gods he is. I'll even say it like that just in case you're wondering and that, that may be your stance. Uh, it is the case that I will make today that all religions do not lead to the creator of the universe. I know that may shake you up already, but you just have to bear with me. God's got you listening here to this sermon, and so here we are. So hear me out, and I would love for your comments, your phone calls. My contact information is on SoundCloud, where you're listening to this message, or gospelsavingchurch.com. But it is my case, and it is the stand that I will make, and that I believe that I can prove to you that all religions do not lead to the creator of the universe. Um, Now, I know you may be saying, well, Pastor Ed, you're a Christian pastor, so we already know what you're going to say. Oh, Jesus is the way, and that just did. And you know what? Wait to hear me out. It won't just be because I believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven that I'm going to tell you that. It will be because I'm going to make a logical, common sense, and actual provable argument to you of what I actually believe. Now, uh, I again, I, I'm going to say this again. I believe that we can know who the true creator of the universe is from pure logic, from common sense, and then by proof. That's right. Real, hands-on, tangible proof. I can hold this thing in my hand right here, and I can believe this is real because I know I can hold it, and I can touch it, and I can see it. And I believe that we can know with 100% accurate proof who the creator of the universe is today. And I believe that I can help you with that too, if that's something that's a question on your mind. Uh, don't those seem like good reasons on how to know which religion leads to the creator of the universe? I think that they do. My first case in point, why do I say that all religions do not lead to the creator of the universe? I'm going to make some points here. Number one, would your creator or, or would the power of the universe, the one who made you and the whole universe, who wants you, their creation, to know they are real and worship them. Of course they would. Any creator, all creators, or the power, even as the Buddhists believe in just the power of the, this great power of the beyond, this great power, or uh, Jesus Christ of the Bible, or, or Shiva, Vishnu, and Krishna of the Hindu religions, or, or whoever. Any, every religion wants you to know that they are God, that they are the creator God. And the reason I know that they want you to know, and, and here's how you may be saying, well, how can you know a pastor? And how can you know they want us to know them? Because guess what? You go to every different religion, 
And every religion, every deity, and every religion has one common thing in case in point. They all have a prescribed way in which they want you to worship them or they want you to come to them. Every single one of them. Buddhists do certain things. Hindus do certain things. Christians do certain things. Muslims do certain things. Every single creator has a way that they say, here's how you come to me. So that means they want you to know them and know who they are, right? Because they have a prescribed way for you to come to them, okay? And if a deity made the earth and the universe, which they all claim to have done, by the way, every single religion is God, their God, their deity says, I made everything. It's me. I'm the God. Even Bahula of the Baha'i faith, he, he, he claimed to be the ultimate creator and to come in all the forms of all the other gods. And he claimed to be God and create everything. And of course, even he had a way that people would come to him. Now, I'll make this point again. If a deity made the earth and the universe, which they all claim to have done, and they all demand to be worshipped in a certain way, which they have done, wouldn't that mean that every deity would have their own type of creation as far as the earth and as far as the planets and as far as outer space goes? I would say so, because, I mean, after all, they, they claim to have made everything. How, how is it just a coincidence that they claim to have made everything, yet everything, all? Oh, what do we see when we look around us? We see one earth, we, we see one moon, we see all one set of celestial beings that are all exactly the same, and we all live in one exact timeline. There's no, there's no multiple timelines. There's no different realities. Some people think there are, but they got no proof for it, so I don't believe it because I'm, I'm a proof kind of guy. you you got to have proof for me to believe what you're going to teach me or else I won't believe it. But we all see one earth, one moon, one set of celestial bodies, one everything, and one individual. And, and, and <laughs> So I'll get to the next point. I'm gonna almost getting mad at myself. If there were different creators... Again, wouldn't they have created their own worlds of planets for their people to live on because they all want to be known and worshipped in a certain way and they'd want their beings they made, us, people, to have our own place and space made in a specific way that they wanted it to be made. If every deity was true and every correct God was true and always went to God, number one, God, a, a creator, would only have one way to get to him. Not multiple ways to get to him and not contradictory ways to get to him. And not to say if you're in one religion and I'm in another, if it's the same God, he wouldn't condemn another way to him. That's another key point that I will make. A God, if there were multiple deities, some people believe that all religions lead to God and it's all just one God that has manifested himself into all these different people that are on the earth. You know, he, he manifests himself to these people in this way and to the Americans this way and to the Europeans this way and to the Africans this way and so on and so forth. Yet, if that one true God or if that one God was doing all, manifesting himself to all the peoples all over the world, why would, let's say, the Christian God condemn how the God of Islam 
says that those people are supposed to come to him. If it's the same God, if think of this now as pure logic. I love logic. Logic is so powerful, isn't it? You may not even ever even thought of these things. Pure logic is so awesome. Why would the God of Christianity, you know, as one God, let's say he's one God, but, but they're all the same, but they just manifest themselves in different ways. Why would he condemn the way that Muslims come to Allah? Which, if that was the same God, is God is your God bipolar? If you, you think all gods lead to the same place, and all, they're all just one God. Why would the God of, you know... Uh, Hindus, why would all the gods of the Hindus say, hey, this is what I did, worship me this way, uh, and then basically they're saying the ways of those other worship, those ways aren't good. Those ways aren't accurate. See, see, so even pure logic tells us that even if all gods were one, and so all religions led to one god, that same one god, unless he's bipolar, and I, I really don't think that um, a, a being with the power to make everything like the creator of the universe has is going to be bipolar. I don't think he's going to one day go, oh, you know, today I think this is the way that these people should worship me. But uh, you know what? I don't believe that those people do it right anymore. Even though those people would say, well, they're my God who gave me my religious book says, hey, this is the way I'm supposed to worship him and I'm not supposed to worship him that way. That complete and utter confusion, complete and utter bipolarness, and that is not the creator of the universe. And that's not what we see in creation. That's not what we see in people. I would never tell my sons, my two sons, well, do this for me because I love this, and I would never tell my other son, oh, I hate when you do that. Don't do that one thing. Uh, my one son, I-, I would tell him, oh, I love pizza. Oh, son, I love pizza. Bring me pizza. This is, this is what I want. I want pizza. Oh, with pepperoni and sausage and cheese. Oh, all right, great son. And then I wouldn't go over here to my left and my other son and go, you know, son, I hate pizza. Don't bring me pizza. Bring me cheeseburgers. That's what I want. I want cheeseburgers. And then to the other son, don't bring me cheeseburgers. I would be an insane person if I did that. Would I not? How then, if all religions lead to one God, if that's so, How then could that one God be that bipolar? Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. My two key points. I got a third one, though. I got a third one. Another key line here. Kind of following the previous logic I gave you for uh, the the second one. I've given you three so far. The number two one I had said that, you know, he would have made God, God, the creator, would have made all this creation for his people, for the people that live on the earth. Upon that thought, I want you to think of this. If there were more than one creator, wouldn't they have created their worshipers in their image to be in their own likeness so that their worshipers would bear their own image? They are God, right? Or gods, plural, after all, right? And as gods, as I already said, they each, in every religion, they each demand to be worshipped in a prescribed certain type of way. And that means that we can say that every supposed god would be jealous for their created beings, right? Following this line of logic, do we see more than one type of human being? Do we see a, do we see a, a human being that looks like an elephant, 
Or do we see a human being that looks like a jaguar? Or a human being that looks like a planet? Or, or not? Or, or No, we don't. We don't see a different human being. We see all human beings that are all the same. They're all people. All basic yet complex individuals, people. Because if you're familiar with all the different deities, I am, and I did my research for this sermon, all of them have a different form or image or personage. Buddha, or, or the man that, you know, that the people put the Buddha, he's not really the, the, the creator. He's the guy that kind of like, that, that's what they nicknamed him. He's the one that taught the Buddhist way. There's just pictures of little fat pudgy man and people with many arms and <coughs> a person with many arms and many arms off of those arms. Uh, no God, as I said, Buddhist, Buddhism is not really a religion. It's a, it's an atheist religion. They just believe in a great power, right? Buddhism is just a great power that we all came from and that we're all going back to and we're all just, you know, people headed for nirvana and that's just it. Hinduism, we got Brahma, who's some type of person with three faces. I don't, I don't see people with three faces. Do you? I, we have one face. Just one. Uh, it looks like a, a woman. Vishnu, a Brahma looks like a, uh, as I said, person with three faces. V- Vishnu looks like a woman, but has four arms. Shiva, a similar type of person with four arms. Uh, one has a face of an elephant. Hinduism has thousands of God, all with different forms. All that look different ways. Chinese religions have dragons and all kinds of other, you know, symbolistic things and the, the yin and the yang and all this other thing. And Taoism has their own little symbolism and stuff like that. Jesus Christ was the only one of the only religion that just looks like a standard human being, a simple yet complex human being. He was a Jew, but nonetheless, he was still a human being. What do we see in our real world? When we look at the real world and we look at people in the real world, if all the religions all were one or the everyone or, or say Hinduism was the way or, or Buddhism was the way or, <coughs> or Taoism or, you know, <coughs> excuse me, all the Chinese religions were the way, what, what wouldn't they make their worshipers to be in their own image? Well, the only one that makes sense, common logic, you know, common sense, people are people. And no matter what, you, what they look like, whether they're tall or short or big <coughs> or small, fat, skinny, etc., all are just people. All are just people. And they all look like Jesus Christ. They all look like the man who came, who gave his life on the cross and died for the sins of the world. He was just a human being. If you cut open the African... If you cut open the, the European, the American, the, the German, etc., even though we may look a little different on the inside, or excuse me, on the outside, we all may have a different color. We all may have different facial features. Some of us have, may have smaller eyes and some bigger eyes and some bigger mouths and some smaller mouths and some shorter legs, some longer legs. Uh, it's really weird. My, my, one of my sons has really long legs but a short torso, and I have kind of like... Uh, kind of like medium legs and a, <coughs> kind of a medium torso when we're tall. And my younger son has a really tall torso and kind of shorter legs. But, you know, we're, we're still people. If you just cut us open, we're all amazingly complex yet simple human beings. 
just like the one that I believe in, the one that I believe is the one true creator of the universe, Jesus Christ. And since we don't see different kinds of beings other than human beings uh, or ones that worship the God or God's, uh, there mustn't be plural gods either. There just must be one God. But who is that God? And you say, well, you believe it's Jesus Christ, and, and you're right, I do. But it's not just because I believe it to be so. Last logical common sense argument is to the truth that there are not multiple gods of religions and that all religions don't lead to the creator of the universe. Major point here. All but one of the religions of the world have tremendous unexplained, you can't explain them. They're just absolute and utter contradictions. Absolute and other. Because certainly and logically, this is, this is one that really points to me that there's not multiple gods and that, and that all but one religion is absolutely, completely ridiculous. Because if a god was powerful enough to be the creator of the universe, how and why would they contradict themselves? They would be super powerful and super intelligent, wouldn't they? I mean, you'd have to be. If you look at all creation... It was made with supernatural intelligence. It wasn't made by somebody that was dumb. The creation, outer space, the planets, people, all absolutely and utterly amazing beings. So just a few contradictions from some of the larger supposed religions. Let's take number one, Islam. There are probably, out of the whole world, there's more people that worship the God of Allah in Islam than you know, that, well, it's the second most populated religion in the whole world. Christianity's first still. Islam is number two. And number, number one, we got Islam. Again, second most worshipers in the whole world. In, in Surah 1967, a, con, a contradiction that cannot be explained away, no matter how much hoops that you try to jump, jump through, or no matter how many acrobatic movements that you try to make, we have Surah 1967 stating this. It states that man was created out of nothing. Yet in the same Quran, Surah 1526, it states that man was created from clay. Well, since clay is something, we have a contradiction since nothing excludes the possibility of clay or anything for that matter. There's no way you can say that Islam, that the God of Islam is the one that created the universe because that's, that's, that's kindergarten stuff. That's kindergarten stuff. And if you want to believe in Islam, then you're believing that your God is not even as smart as one in kindergarten. Because the kindergartner would know that nothing does, excludes everything, even clay. Okay? And number two, we got Buddhism. I love this one. I found this one. This religion teaches that all people are innately good. Yet a woman who was interested in this religion once commented about a Buddhist talk after she heard a senior monk say the only time he would ever touch a woman is if she was in serious need of medical attention. She said this in reply to his, this apparent, simple, obvious contradiction. If we are all good beings some more troubled than others, and obviously, I'll add, just different sexes, striving to escape suffering, she says. Why would a woman be any worse than a man? Yet, to this senior monk, he wouldn't even touch a woman. And he wasn't referring to sexuality. He was just talking about just simply touching. But if we're all good, then it doesn't matter. We have no sex, no race, no gender, no nothing. And we're all the same. Yet, absolute 
total contradictory statement and total contradictory teaching on why we're all people are the same. Number three, Bahá'u'lláh, the founder of the Bahá'í faith, uh, this is one of the simplest, he claimed to be God. Yet, he died, and his grave is still amongst us today. He died, he's still dead, and he's never coming back to life. Would the God of all the universe die and cease to exist? As far as I can tell, there's still a God in this, uh, of the universe because everything still goes on and his power makes it all happen. If he died, his power would have died with him. Pretty simple. This one, I, I just, this one, I, even the religion itself, uh, people have stated, and I, and I finally see it more than ever, uh, Hinduism is at the religion of confusion. Listen to this one here. Shiva Purana, or if I'm saying it right, I know it's the Shiva's right. Shiva Purana declares that mankind was created by Shiva and that you should worship Shiva and etc. Vishnu, which is there's, there's three main gods in Hinduism. Vishnu Purana says that all people should worship Vishnu and that Vishnu created all people. But Rig Veda, I guess it's one of their books, that Brahman created says that Brahman created all only the four castes of Indians in India. Who created all other castes? Is this person's question when they were talking about this? Uh, who created all other castes remains unanswered by Hindus for a period of 3,000 years till today. Basically, all four castes of the Hindus include only 7% of all Hindus of India. In that case, who created all the 93% of Indians? And a major question that has to be answered by uh, thinking Indians is who made everybody else, right? Who made the Brahmins as the superior caste among the four castes anyway? And why in the Indian caste system? Why is the special, what is the special things about the Brahmins? Who created all the people of the world outside of India is yet another question. Nobody seems interested in studying these things or they're able to answer these doubts or these contradictions or to clear them. They just simply follow the traditions and go to the temples and worship their gods. So did Brahman create everybody? Did Shiva create everybody? Did Vishnu create everybody? And then even within their own religion, each of their gods says, worship me. Now, it's the religion of contradiction. H Hinduism also recognizes, as you can t hear from many Hindus, also recognizes all religions as ways to the creator of the universe. And yet, as I just read, uh, Vishnu says, worship me. Well, Christians don't worship Vishnu, and yet Hindus say, well, all religions kind of lead to one. I mean, it's the religion of contradictions. Anybody that believes in Hinduism, you live a life of confusion and contradictions. It's, it's absolutely impossible. You can't say, your one God says, worship me, but yet all other gods all have, or all other religions have their way to God also. It's impossible. Uh, lastly, number five, the last one of all, the one that I belong to, Christianity, the original religion I follow, many state that there are a multitude of contradictions in the Bible, yet every one of the supposed contradictions that, that have been brought to my attention that I've studied in the past, many of whom all, simply, if you just keep reading the sentence or you keep reading the paragraph that you're in or, or you, you know the whole Bible, you know, from cover to cover, you don't just know that one section. 
Many of them are just misunderstandings that are easily, they're they're not that they're unexplainable, they're they're so easily explained, it's just simple, but people don't give enough time to realize some of the contradictions that are there, that they're not really contradictions, they're just misunderstandings with a little research into the Bible and its culture, they're not contradictions at all. And wouldn't it make sense, as I said earlier, if there was a God, the one and true God of all the universe, that they would not contradict themselves because they're all-powerful and you know all-knowing and so on and so forth? Well, that would be the absolute truth of the matter. And so it is actually within the last religion, Christianity, that I belong to and that I spoke of that I'm going to make my stand there that this is the one true religion and that the one true God of the universe is the God of Christianity. And I'll make my stand that the God of the Bible is Jesus Christ because that is what I can prove to you as I cannot prove to you any other religion or any other God, but I can prove Jesus Christ to you. I intend to show you now through some logic and common sense proof what I just said. One of the greatest, if not the greatest reasons that I know that all religions except for Christianity are false is because of the fact that there's no way for any worshiper of those other religions to verify that they actually worship a real true God. Other than to say, I belong to this religion and I believe it, therefore it must be true. And I hate to tell you this, just because someone believes something to be true and then follows what they believe doesn't make what they think to be true. That's called relativism. And relativism doesn't work because if you say that they're... <laughs> relativism, the, the, one, the one truth, I love this whole idea because if you say there's no contradictions, you just gave an absolute. If you're a relativist, there's no absolutes. So if you say there's no absolutes, you just gave an absolute. So even the idea of itself, of relativism, absolutely contradicts itself because the absolute of there's no absolutes is an absolute. You just made an absolute truth. Hogwash and poppycock, relativism is a lie. Just because I believe it doesn't make it true. Real and ultimate truths in our world are verifiable. That means that they can be proven by real evidence. They can be proven that they are real and ultimate truth and not just my made-up truth, which is really just my opinion. All right? So, so why do I believe that the Bible and the Christian religion that it propagates is the one and only true religion showing all others false and the one and only true way to the God of the universe. Why do I believe this? Because of the monumental amount of provable evidence the Bible offers those who read, who seek the truth of who God is, that are without contradiction and clearly and 100%ly, I made up that word just the other day, 100%ly, hands down studyable evidential proofs that we can wrap our hands and heads on and test and and see if they're real and evidence to help us know that the Bible and Jesus Christ are God's true religion, the one to connect us and get us an audience with the God of the universe. Proofs that show us that Jesus Christ is actually the real and only Savior of the world, the one, the only one that can save you from death from your sin, and from what comes next. Proving that the Jesus Christ of Christianity is the one whom you can know with all your heart, is the one that saves, and the one that you can turn to for eternal life today 
and forever. With the information I'm going to share with you today, I feel very confident, 100% confident actually, that number one, if you're a strong follower of Christ, you'll be strengthened in your faith in Christ. Number two, if you're a Christian struggling in your faith, your faith in Him will be brought back. It'll be renewed today. Or number three, if you're someone who's wondering about Jesus Christ or wondering, hey, which religion is true or hey, which God is true, then I believe that you will see the light today and that I can prove to you that the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus Christ of the Bible, is the one true God of all the universe. So we're, we're going to be in a few different sections of Scripture today in the Bible only uh, due to the purpose of the message. Why are we going to be in the Bible only? Because the Bible has one major provable bit of info that no other supposed religion in the whole world has. The Bible has what we call prophecy. And prophecy, actual timeline prophecy, Prophecy that we can prove happened, not prophecy that, well, I'm going to give this prophecy and it's, uh, there's going to be a fire somewhere in the world in the rest of time. Well, that's, that's pretty, that's, <laughs> that's not a prophecy. That's, uh, that's just, that's just just saying words. Nostradamus was famous for that. Well, there's going to be this happening. There's going to be a great war. Well, I wonder, has there been any great wars throughout the whole world? I'm, it's ridiculous. Absolutely. I'm talking about specific, on point, to the point, to the T, prophecy, where you can't, they're not just random, and not just anybody can fulfill them. They're, they're specific prophecies that, that Jesus Christ met that the Bible has. And that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is something that is foretold in a time before, and then uh, dozens or hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of years, then that prophecy comes to pass by again that prophecy would come to pass without the help you'd say of the person that's fulfilling the prophecy oh i read this prophecy oh this is going to happen well then you go do that well you can't say you fulfill prophecy because you purposely went ahead and did it yourself that doesn't prove to me anything that's just something that you read that you i'm going to do that and that, that this prophecy is something that has to happen with no assistance from the one that is fulfilling it. And this prophecy, which confirms Jesus Christ as the one and only true God of the universe, the one Savior, comes from the Jewish scriptures, which makes it even more special. Why is this type of prophecy so special? Uh, the Jews do not, even to this day, and the majority that lived in Jesus Christ's day, the Jews do not confirm that Jesus was their Messiah. They don't believe that the Jesus Christ that I worship in Christianity is the act, their actual Jewish Messiah, the Savior of the whole world. They would say that I'm wrong, that I worship a false religion, and that I'm you know, the one that has the false religion because they don't believe that Jesus Christ was anything more than a fraud. But yet... This information I'm going to give you today is powerful because whenever any group who's in opposition to another supports or confirms their opponent's major core ideals, this is the most powerful of all sources of the fact that the one group who's being opposed actually has the truth. Uh, just a couple examples for you out of Islam, as I just watched a testimony that I just posted to my Facebook the other day uh, about a man named Mario, I can't remember his last name, who was, a, is, who was a Muslim and became a Christian, and he did it because the Quran actually told him that Jesus was the one that we're supposed to worship. Believe it or not, the Quran brought him to Christ. 
Amazing. In Islam, the Quran teaches in chapter 3, lines 45 through 55, that Jesus is the Word of God and that He was Jesus Christ. Again, the Quran teaches that Jesus is the Word of God. Does that sound familiar to you? It doesn't say that about Muhammad and it doesn't say that about Moses. The Quran teaches that Jesus, or Isa, which is their... Islamic word for Jesus, was the word of God, and that his name was, his full name was Jesus Christ. And Islamic teachers teach that Allah created the universe through the word. John 1.1, in the beginning was God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And through the word, we know the Bible says through God's word, he created everything. That word was and is Jesus Christ. This is why a fellow named Mario, who just watched his testimony just the other day, says that it, the Quran turned him to Christ. So you see that the Quranic teachings parallel the Bibles, yet the Quran at its core, God says in Allah, the false god of Islam, says that God has no sons. Yet the Quran contradicts itself and calls Jesus the Christ and the Word of God, which the Bible, I hope you see. Also, in Quran, uh, Surah 10, 94, Allah tells Muhammad that if he's confused about anything that he, Allah, has told him, that Muhammad should go to the people of the book. That, that phrase is very specific. And who those are, those would be Christians and Jews. So that Muhammad should go to the people of the book, Surah 10, 94, again now, to clear up any misunderstandings Muhammad may have had of what Allah told him. So, so you see, just a couple examples that I'm making there, when, when a contradictor, when, a, when, a, when, a, when an opponent who stands against you hard, when yet their core teachings that they're not, they're not like they're blind to them, approve, like, like these did in the Quranic teachings of Christ, when they prove one tenet of the faith that they absolutely oppose, that shows that God has sprinkled, the true God of the universe has sprinkled his truth in that religion for the seeker. Because God's looking for the person that wants to seek him. I hope you see my point. The Jewish prophetic scriptures of the Jews who don't believe in Jesus Christ give irrefutable proof of the fact that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. And because of this prophecy, because only God could know the future and in the past, the info that I'm going to share with you, the Bible holds the key to the one and only true, trustable, and provable religion. Some of the scriptures we're going to be in today are Acts 9.22. We're going to look at how Saul or Paul kind of did this with some Jews of his day. Psalm 22, Matthew 27, and Isaiah 50. 3 and Matthew 27, we're going to be some of this. So if you want to put your finger there in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, or just listen along at what the Bible says, I'm going to read some of those and I'm going to talk about some of those. Acts 9.22 says that Paul uh, increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus, his Jesus, the one that saved him, is the Christ. Now, Paul was an 
anti-Christ Jew. He was a Pharisee. He did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. After Jesus come and he lived and he died and he had just been recently converted to Christ. He was on the road to Damascus and Christ appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So on and so forth. And he says, you know, here I am. Saul turns to him, becomes a Christian. Uh, he realizes that he's wrong. He starts his personal journey with the God of all the universe. And in Acts 22, we find him so zealous for Jesus Christ after his conversion, while still in Damascus, that he's still on fire preaching Jesus Christ to the Jews of Damascus, the ones that don't believe, right? And he's proving them. Verse 22 says that he proved to them that this Jesus, his Jesus, was the Christ. How did he go about doing this? Through two ways that we have in recording still today. The prophecies of the Old Testament or Tanakh, if you're Jewish and you're listening to this message today. Again, prophecies of the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh or the Old Testament Christian Bible. And by the ways in which Jesus Christ fulfilled those prophecies by his life his death, and his resurrection, right? Or what we know today to be the Gospels of Jesus Christ. The Gospels of which the disciples laid down their lives through no gain of their own to proclaim to their death. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. In case you didn't know, the Jewish Bible, also known as, by the Jewish people as the Tanakh, is the Christian Old Testament. And that's the same 42 books in each. Now, we can still say today, we can actually read over the exact passages that Saul read those Jews of his day. The ones that he proved to them that Jesus was the Christ or the creator of the universe, the Savior, proving him to be the one promised God of all the universe. My first section of scripture today that he would have definitely read them would be Psalm 22. You can turn again, you could turn there. We're going to be there for a while. This is a completely messianic psalm written by a Jew about the Messiah, about the Christ, about the Savior of the world that was written about six to eight hundred years before Jesus Christ actually lived. And it was written by one of Israel's greatest kings, King David. Uh, just, just how does Psalm twenty prove? Uh, tw excuse me, Psalm twenty two prove uh, to us that Jesus is God's Christ Messiah, and how would it have proven Jesus as the Christ to to these Jews in Damascus? Psalm twenty two. Let's look at verses one through eighteen. It starts out, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" In case that seems familiar to you, it should. Matthew 27, 46, Jesus yelled it as he's up on the cross. He yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, uh, he said this because back in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, originally, back when Jesus would have been alive in the flesh on earth, they didn't have numbers and verses and so on and so forth. So Jesus Christ yelled this to, to, to kind of reach the seekers and the audience to say, hey, guys, this is where we're going to be. This, this psalm, go to this psalm that you know starts this way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This psalm that starts this way is about this time in my life. So go there and look and read it, and you're going to see right there that everything that's happening to me right now 
was all foretold 600 to 800 years before now. And I had, and again, I'll point this out as we keep going. I'll say this now. Jesus had not, other than that first line, Jesus Christ had nothing to do with everything else that happened to him while he went through the Psalm 22, 1 through 18. Psalm 22, picking up after his cry in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He goes on to say this. Why are you so far from helping me? This is how he feels. Can you not feel this way? If you're on the cross being crucified, they're killing you. Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I and I'm not silent, but you are holy and thrown in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and you delivered them. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Here's where it gets a bit more interesting because this is talking about how he's feeling, of course, on the cross. This is how he would have felt. But then verses 6 through 8 give us a completely total, utter picture of something we can wrap our hands around and say, this is real. Verses 22 or Psalm 22, 6 3. But I am a worm, and no man a reproach of men, and despised by people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him, let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Now, That was what was written and foretold about the Messiah, the Christ, the God that I worship that I'm proving to you right now, six to eight hundred years before Jesus the Christ ever lived up until he was on the cross. Now, listen to what actually happened to Jesus and the actual events when he was on the cross, 33 A.D., how he fulfilled and how those around him fulfilled those six to eight hundred words that again he had nothing to do with them saying other than he was just there and this is what happened to him. Matthew 27, 39 through 44. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. They're mocking him. Do you see the mockery? Look at how he was mocked, and look at how the people that were, that were doing that in Psalm 22, how they mocked the Messiah then too. Verse 41 of Matthew 27. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Are you kidding me? It's all I have to say. They said the very same things about him, almost word for word, as the psalmist wrote six to eight hundred years before he had prophesied of the same Messiah that he saw in a vision. That's the only way this prophecy could have been is David must have seen this happen to Jesus who claimed to be the Christ 
the provable God of all the universe, and he saw this image, he saw this picture of them doing this to Jesus, his, one of his relatives, I'm not going to go there now, and he must have seen it, and then he wrote it down. And you tell me, if Jesus wasn't the Christ or Messiah of God, why did they say the same exact words that were prophesied to be said of the Christ? And of course, how could Jesus, whom proclaimed to be the Christ, have made those around him that were coming and saying those things, how could he have made them say the very same words and do the same things as were foretold of him if he wasn't God's foretold promised Christ Messiah? There's no way. These people didn't believe him to be the Christ. Yet, they said the same words about him as the prophet said were going to be said about the Messiah. Right, And these people who didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ would have never said these things purposefully just to prove to us that Jesus was the real one, the fulfillment of Psalm 22, because they didn't believe him to be the Messiah. So it was impossible that these Jews would have purposely helped us believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, yet they said the same things of my provable God that was written of him in Psalm 22, six to 800 years before Christ Jesus ever lived. Look at Psalm 22, 9 through 11, or listen to this. But you who took me out of the womb, you've made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from my birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help me. Matthew 26, New Testament records that all his disciples who eventually ended up coming back and laying down their lives for the truth that Jesus was indeed the Christ, that they all forsook him. There was no one there who could help him in his suffering on the cross. Again, verses 12 and 13. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. Again, Matthew 27, 39 through 44, same as we already read earlier, for everyone around him circled around him while he was on the cross, and they were viciously angry with him, verbally attacking him. Psalm 22, 14 and 15, I am poured out like water, all my bone, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Matthew 27, 47 through 48, same thing. Some of those who stood there when they heard this had said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. Now, come on. Jesus was thirsty. He spoke, I'm thirsty. They didn't care. He was dying. Who cares if a dying man is thirsty? He's dying. He's at the point of death. Why would a Roman soldier who just mocked him and who we're going to see next is going to mock him some more? Why would that Jewish or why would that Roman soldier offer him something to drink to ease his pain and his thirst when he's near death and they were laughing at him unless it happened because God's showing us that Jesus is the real Christ, 
the one provable Messiah, the one we could put our trust in for over a time of this fulfillment of prophecy. Listen to this, Psalm 2, 16 and 17. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has encircled me. They pierce my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. Matthew 27, 26 for Psalm 22, 17. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when they had scourged Jesus, when, when Romans scourged someone that was to be put to death, they did it so violently and brutally that the flesh of the flogged person would literally hang off their bodies. Their bones would be revealed just like tw- Psalm twenty-two seventeen said would happen. Then Pilate, the rest of Matthew 27, 26, then he delivered him to be crucified. And Psalm twenty-two sixteen says they pierced his hands and feet. One of the most amazing things about this prophecy, one that we can lay our hands on and one that we can prove, one that we can test, is that uh, in Psalm 22 was written some six to 800 years before Christ crucified, crucifixion wasn't even invented yet. Which means no one had had their hands and their feet pierced and no one was putting people to death this way. Yet the psalmist speaks of the Christ that was going to be crucified, having his hands and feet pierced. And it just so happened that Jesus proclaimed himself to be this same Messiah, as well as his disciples. And he was crucified, having his hands and feet pierced with nails. Wow. And with what Psalm 22, 16 said, For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has encircled me. We have Matthew 27, 27 through 31. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took a robe off of him, put on his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen, just said, For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has encircled me. Gentiles, not Jews, were considered dogs by Jews. Only a Jew would have called a Gentile a dog. And Psalm twenty-two, sixteen: For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has encircled me. He's speaking about how he saw the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross, and the Gentile Roman guards surrounding him as as evil and wicked men, and they were mocking him, and they were saying all kinds of things against him. And remember, they were spitting on him when he was in the praetorium. Come on, this is this is unbelievable accuracy, right? And lastly, we have Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. We have Matthew twenty-seven, thirty-five. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots so that it might be fulfilled. Matthew points this out, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. The ex-tax collector Matthew, turned apostle, even quotes this very prophetic messianic psalm. When he wrote of this account that he personally watched them do this thing to his Lord Jesus Christ, he just watched it from a bit away. 
And again, except for the very beginning of this psalm, when Christ opened his mouth to speak the very first words of the psalm, just to point the people to himself in that psalm, he had nothing else to do with the rest of what they did to him. Nothing. And the disciples who wrote this about him, Matthew, went to his death. Bloody death. And all they asked him to do to, to, to escape death, the, the terrible way that Matthew died, was deny that Jesus was the Christ. Had he just denied what, what really happened, what he really saw, they would have let him free. But Matthew and, all, and, and 10 out of the other 12, 10 of the 11 disciples that were still alive all went to a violent death because they wouldn't deny Psalm 22, Matthew 27 were actually the same. And that's what they saw. Wow. How could all of this be coincidence? Impossible. Impossible, impossible, impossible. One more huge note. Although David, the King David of Israel, wrote all those words, nothing like this has ever to this day happened to one single person ever in the history of mankind. It hasn't happened today. It hasn't happened up to today. Saul most definitely proved that Jesus was the Christ to them with at least this one Messianic Psalm 100% because Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah that he was supposed to fulfill and he and and the psalm was written about, and he was the only man in history to do so. One more proof, then we'll close. Next and last one I'm going to go through in depth for today. There, there's so many more. Saul did this for days with these Jews. We don't have days. We have today. And we have this about an hour and 15 or 20 minutes, and I'm going to keep you here today. The last one, Isaiah 53, 1 through 12, start in verses 1 through 3. Who has believed our report, Isaiah writes. That means what I'm about to tell you is unbelievable. Sounds appropriate, doesn't it? What I'm going to tell you about the Christ, unbelievable. And to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root on a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, it gets really exciting. He is despised and rejected by men. Well, we, all, we know what happened to Jesus. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. One of Jesus' disciples that was beaten and whom they attempted to kill, but couldn't, the apostle John, so he suffered greatly, proclaiming, as a first-hand witness, says this of Jesus, whom he believed to be the Christ, 1 John 1, 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He was a man despised, and we did not esteem him. We did not accept him. We did not think anything of him. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. To which the New Testament, the disciple that gave his life for this truth, Matthew 20, 17 through 19. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. 
And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and discourage and to crucify him. And the third day he will rise again. And we already saw uh, Psalm 22, Matthew 27 shows us that he was despised, he was condemned to death, he was given over to the Gentiles who mocked him and scourged him. And we already saw that in Matthew 27. Isaiah 53, 6 and 7. Are we like sheep have gone astray? Now, now Isaiah wrote this book about a thousand years before Christ was ever born. And Isaiah writes of the Messiah, Isaiah 53, 6 and 7. Are we like sheep have gone astray? We have turned everyone to his own way. Matthew 26, when, it, when they came to arrest Jesus, the Bible records that all his disciples forsook him. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, verse 7, Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before it shears is silence. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus Christ never complained as they were leading him from his flogging, his bones showing, flesh hanging off his body to be crucified. Instead, Luke 23, 26 to 28 tells us this, Now as they led him away, they, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed him, and a woman also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turned to them, saying, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. See, he didn't cry. Oh, woe is me. Oh, why are you doing this to me? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't cry. He didn't lament. Not one time just as Isaiah saw this prophecy come fulfillment, I'm sure, in a vision. Saw Isaiah 53, 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. Matthew 26 says he was arrested and put in a type of prison uh, the night that they arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then they passed judgment on him in the high priest's courtyard. Then the next morning, uh, still Isaiah 53, 8, and, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. The, Mose- the Messiah was to be murdered or cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of the sins of God's people, the Jews, and the rest of the peoples of the world. And he was to be stricken or smitten or harshly beaten by God. Jesus, whom proclaimed himself to be the Christ Messiah, also said that he was to die for the sins of mankind. Matthew 26, 26 and 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, this is my body, broken or smitten for mankind. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. Isaiah 53, 9, And they made his grave with the wicked. Uh, Jesus, whom Scripture never records sinning, was crucified on the cross next to two criminals, Matthew 27, 44. Yet they made his grave with the wicked. You see, he was, he was crucified with those that were wicked, even though he himself was not. Isaiah 53, 9 still, but with the rich at his death when he was buried. Jesus, whom proclaimed to be the Christ Messiah, whom was crucified as a criminal next to criminals and even died with criminals, was honored in his burial and was buried in a rich man's death. Uh, the tomb he was buried in belonged to a rich man, Joseph, or Joseph of Arimathea, Matthew 27, 57. You see, true criminals and poor people like Jesus, he was not rich, never got a rich man's burial. They were just given a basically uh, an unmarked grave, an unmarked tomb. Yet Jesus, the Christ, 
whom we don't have his tomb, whom we don't have his grave to this day. He got a tomb, which he was only in for about three days, and then he rose again. And a poor man like him would have never gotten a rich man's tomb, yet that's what Jesus, the poor man, got. Yet Jesus had this happen to him. I'm going to point this out here again. He was not in control of doing this to himself. He was dead. How could one that was dead make them do these things to him and fulfill this prophecy? Nobody could have made him do it. Nobody could have made the Roman soldiers do what they did and cast lots for his clothing and so on and so forth. It's unbelievable, unbelievable accuracy to prophecy that's hundreds and a thousand years old that Jesus Christ fulfilled. Isaiah 53, 9 and 10, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, he has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Again, we never read that Jesus, whom proclaimed to be the Christ, ever sinned. And even those who followed him to their deaths, his disciples, whom he called apostles in their writings in the New Testament, said he was without sin, never ever sinned one time. And they proclaimed he was the Messiah Christ, the sinless Lamb of God, come to take away the sins of the world, same as the forerunner John the Baptist said in John 1.29. And all of the ten out of the original twelve disciples, as I said before, confessed this truth of Jesus Christ until they were brutally murdered because they would not deny that he was the Christ, Messiah of God, having nothing to gain. Uh, Isaiah 53, 10, 11. He, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Notice that this Messiah, whom Isaiah had just said was cut off from the land of the living, verse 8, right, is not dead anymore. We see that he came back to life. Isaiah 53, and who will declare his generation for you, was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, right? So he died. That's what the prophecy says of the Messiah, the Christ, whoever you want to believe that to be, even though I believe it was Jesus the Christ and he proved it. And yet here in Isaiah 53, 10 and 11, Isaiah declares that he is alive again. What is that? That's impossible. Who's ever died and come back to life? Nobody. Nobody, and nobody's ever had a firsthand eyewitness testimony of this happening except for those who saw Jesus Christ do that, whom gave up their lives because of the one fact that they would not deny. He rose from the dead three days after he was put to death, and every one of his original disciples proclaimed this also. And because they did, ten out of the twelve were murdered because they wouldn't deny this one fact. Isaiah, rest of 11, verse 12, By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, or make in right standing before the God of the universe, and save from eternal destruction of hell. For he shall bear their iniquities, verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. So the Messiah would be counted as a sinner, and Matthew 27, 44, Jesus in Scripture never records sinning, was crucified on a cross next to two criminals, and he bore the sin in many and made an intercession for the transgressors, which is just exactly what Jesus Christ and the people that wrote about him, that died for him, said that he did in John 3, 16 and 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son of the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Ladies and gentlemen, I could go on and on all day. I could go on and on about the proofs of Jesus being the actual Christ. Day after day after day for several days, maybe even for a week or two, speaking about things that Jesus as the Christ of the Bible said that he did and that his disciples who paid with their blood, this is what he did. Now all they had to do and to not die was to deny that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the one to come to save the world, yet they didn't and they had nothing to gain. I could go on and on for days and days giving you these proofs because there are so many that Paul or Saul would have shared with these unbelieving Jews that I could share with you today. But for time's sake, I'm not going to get to them. But I do wish that I had many days to discuss them. One of them, my most favorite things to do is to prove Jesus is the Christ from the Scriptures. And so prove who the one true creator of the universe really is and proving that all the ways that don't lead to God and to prove to you the one true way that does lead to God. I'm not sure where you stand today if you believe in Jesus Christ or if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, but I could tell you this. If you could tell me that you have believed in Jesus Christ and you have put your trust in Him and you've become born again and you've become saved, and I could tell you this right now, this sermon, this message should have encouraged you a hundred percent because you have one piece of truth on your side. You have the justifiable provable truth of the fact that you have and can give to anyone proof of who you believe in and not just your opinion which has no authority <clears throat> you have proof that your god the one and only true god of the universe jesus christ is who he said he is and was and that you can tell others that he can be relied on trusted on totally and worshiped and obeyed with all their hearts because he is real and not just some made-up deity of folklore or just somebody that you just believe in because that's how you were raised and this is super powerful i encourage you to walk in that encouragement walk in that faith because again faith is not blind when it comes to Christianity. We have faith that we can lay our hands on and that we can look to real facts about the God of all the universe that we can hang our heads on and that we can know for sure. And then that should make you go out there and, and follow Christ because He is worthy to be followed. He's worthy to be obeyed. He's worthy to be loved. And as you as a follower, a disciple of Christ, this, this message should have just encouraged you a hundred percent. Now, to those that I'm speaking about that are without Christ today, so you're not born again. You're not surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Master. So you're, maybe you're a, a, a non-Messianic Jew. Maybe you're a Mormon, a Jehovah Witness, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim. Uh, maybe you're uh, one of the many Catholics who don't even believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Or, or maybe, <coughs> excuse me, you're even one of those who just have a head knowledge or belief in Jesus. Uh, what I want to tell you today is you have an unjustifiable belief in your God. You, you can't prove 
your God. You have no prophecies that are pinpoint accurate like I just gave you today. You don't have that. You have a God that you say, well, I believe because. Well, because does not make me believe. Because just tells me that you have a belief. Well, I believe in a lot of things. And I'm sure some of them aren't right. Some of them I wouldn't lay my life down for, Jesus Christ. I would. Would you lay your life down for your God the same way the disciples laid their lives down when they knew the truth 100%? Nobody can say that today. You, you cannot. The reality you have of your God has no weight, has no evidence, and no proof that you can rest in. You cannot know for sure that your God is real and that the faith you have in your God can save you from death and what comes after and your sin. You cannot have the faith that a true born-again Christian has because your hope rests in your good works and some ancient book or religion which cannot be verified as truth and does not have any way to be tested or validated or proved to actually be real. If this is you today, I, just as Saul did with the unbelieving Jews of his day, just proved Jesus as the Christ to you, as the one true creator of the universe. And he claimed by verifiable proofs that he can save you from the fear of death, your sin, and what comes next. If this is you today, will you be like many of the Jews of Saul's day and age who rejected and even of our age that reject the Christ and Messiah because you just refuse to believe because you know you were born this way? Will you be like that or will you realize, wow, man, he's got real evidence. I can really put my faith in that God. I can really trust that God. And will you turn to him and start a new life with him today? The moment you cry out to Jesus Christ, if you choose to cry out to Him today and turn to Him, He'll recognize your effort. He'll recognize your heart and He'll come and He'll put His Spirit in you and make you a new creation in Him. Jesus Christ said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you realize you're wrong today, if you realize, I can't prove my God. My God is just the way my society is. That doesn't make it true. Well, maybe I already proved to you 100% that all ways don't lead to God. There's only one way. And Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Please, I exhort you today, seek the truth. Ask God who he is. Ask him if Jesus Christ is the God of the universe. And he will show you, as he already brought, if you've already been doing it, he brought you this sermon, which proved to you that Jesus is the Christ. And you could trust him, turn to him, fall on your knees, cry out to him, Jesus Christ, I need you. I believe in you. Forgive me for my sins. I want you to save me. Please save my soul. I repent of the religion that I believed in, whatever that religion may be. Just put that word in there and cry out to Him and just bear your heart to God and beg Him to reveal Himself to you and just beg Him to come inside of you and save you. And He will. Please, I exhort you. God loves you. And Jesus Christ gave up His life on the cross to prove His love for you. And he went through all those horrible things that Psalm 22 said about him and Isaiah 53 said about him and fulfilled them all. 
as horrible as they were because of his love for you. So I exhort you to turn to Christ today and be saved and have new life now and eternal life forever. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord Jesus Christ, that you have revealed yourself to people today. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you have helped people turn to you, Lord God, through this message. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you have given us this verifiable proof, Lord God, in a, in a day and age, Lord, when it's everything is so confusing and which God is the real God? Do all religions lead to God? Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for laying this message on my heart, Lord. Lord, I thank you for my recent vacation, but Lord, I thank you that when I came back, Lord, that we have such a powerful and awesome sermon as this here, Lord God. One that can, Lord God, easily open people's eyes and hearts, Lord God. Please open people's eyes and hearts with it and bring them to Christ. And we ask these things, all these things, in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.